From Music for All and presented by Yamaha, welcome to teaching social emotional learning through music. And now, here's your host, Dr. Scott Edgar. Hi, welcome to the next episode of Teaching Social and Emotional Learning Through Music. I'm Scott Edgar, and we are all in for a huge treat today. Having a dear friend in Jasmine Fripp, I know that she's humble, but oh my goodness, are we in for a treat. Grammy-nominated master teacher from Nashville, Tennessee. Jasmine, welcome to the episode. Oh, thank you, Scott. This this is such an amazing opportunity because I'm a huge fan of Scott's work. So I'm like a fan on this podcast and it's amazing. And I'm just happy to be here. Jasmine, you know, Mutual Admiration Society is alive and well. And, you know, so much of what you are doing in Nashville with your students on a national level is game changing. And I know you and I have had some conversations of, well, I, I do this, but I don't know if it's SEL or this is something that I do in my practice. So I'm just thrilled to be able to have a little conversation with you about what you're doing in your space and how we can start to think about this as meaningfully deepening our students' social and emotional competence. So the, the honor is, is mine and ours. Jasmine, your journey has been so rich. Can you start by just telling us what has brought you to Nashville to the point where you are? Tell us a little bit about your story. So my journey to Nashville actually started when I was in fourth grade. And that's when I discovered uh, that I could sing. And that's when I discovered choir and it became like a very safe space for me. And I felt like it was something I was really good at. You know, I played sports and whatnot, but music was my thing. And I went to different art schools. It was an amazing experience. But what I started to notice when I went to these different art schools and was granted all these opportunities like Allstate, like regional choir, like going to Carnegie Hall two times, uh, I didn't see a lot of kids that looked like me, and that was very bothersome. So um, it wasn't until I got into 11th grade, my teacher at the time bought in this guy named Jeffrey Redding, Dr. Jeffrey Redding, Grammy award-winning Jeffrey Redding. And before him, I'd never seen a Black teacher in the choral classroom. And that was just so mind-blowing to me. And within 30 minutes of working with him, like he took it to a level where it was like way past the notes on the page. Like, how do I connect my life with music? How do I use music as an outlet as opposed to just using music as a way to feel good about yourself because you're good at it? Or I know how to read X, Y, and Z. And within 30 minutes, I had tears running down my face. My mascara was a mess. And I decided in that moment that I was going to become a teacher, a music teacher, but I was going to work with predominantly black and brown kids because I wanted them to have that same experience that I had. So I went to Winthrop University. I got my bachelor's degree in music education. I taught for three years at an all black school um, in Orangeburg, South Carolina. We did some amazing things. But during my time there, I started to experience some burnout. And if I'm telling the truth, because I was so willing to pour into my students, I was like performing with them every weekend. 
it just became very draining. And I wanted to find love. I wanted to uh, start a family. And there was no way I was going to be able to do that in the position that I was in. So I decided to step away from the classroom after my third year of teaching. And around that time, my now husband and I started dating. He was um, or is a screenwriter, um, an aspiring director, and he's now a comedian. And I was wanting to like try all of my talents. I'm a songwriter. I do a little bit of hip hop. I want a vocal coach. I want to experience all the things, not only to like satisfy my needs or to satisfy my dreams, but my long-term goal was to open my own school of performing arts. So I wanted to be able to experience all the things so I can pass on my experiences to my kids. So after I stopped teaching, my husband and I decided that we were just going to pick a place, move there, and start a new life. And that new life started in Nashville. I went there and worked on my master's degree at Belmont University. My daughter was born within like the first year of me working on my master's degree. And she's one of the greatest gifts we could have ever asked for. She's pushed me to places that I never thought I would be able to experience. And it was really her. She really drove me to like go back into the classroom, one, because we needed the money at one point. The starving artist thing wasn't working when you have a child in the picture. And two, she just encouraged me to explore other talents, like writing kids' songs and um, working with elementary students. So we're now in Nashville, and my daughter, she's at an art school. Um, my husband, he's doing comedian, uh, comedy, sorry. And I am working at Kip Nashville Collegiate High School, where I have some of the best students I could ever ask for, predominantly Black and Brown students, full of love, life, full of culture. The program is super supportive. And because the community is so supportive, my regional director, Marvis Moore, is so supportive. The Kip community has been so supportive. We've been able to do a lot of things with those kids and offer them the same opportunities that I had coming up in the world of music. Jasmine, such a gorgeous story to bring you here, your family. It seems like it really has been a family event to bring you to Nashville and such a supportive group around you. You know, where I was going to take this conversation is for us to kind of ask you about your why. Why do you teach music? Why have you chosen a home? But I think you've already started to scratch the surface on there. You said music was your thing and that you really wanted to provide an example for your students of someone who looked like you. You know, you we hear a lot in our narrative and education in our world about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in, in your words, can I just ask you, why does that representation matter so much for the students that you see on a daily basis? The representation matters because even I, it's never been my goal for my students to like be the next big music educator and like do all the all states and clinic all the clinics and whatnot. That's never been my goal. It's students have to be able to see it in order to believe it. And that's why that representation matters. If they see a Black woman like myself getting called on to do all of these conferences, getting called on to take their students to the studio. Like, even if they decide to go into something like owning a car business or something, they've seen someone like myself own a business, own a brand, so they know it's possible. And even if 
they don't want to be like me at all. They see the different opportunities that can be allotted to them just by using their voice, just by speaking up. So you get to travel just because you're singing. You get to go in the studio and work with these famous people just because you open up and you used your voice. I think just showing kids, whether they look like me or not, that by simply opening up your mouth, using your voice, it is such a powerful tool that you can use to get to the places that you want to go. And I think that representation in and of itself matters. Jasmine, to me, that's the perfect definition of empowerment, right? How can we empower our students to have the courage to see their goals? And and you said that, you know, the conferences, you're everywhere. Oh, my goodness. You, you know, I, I think you said that you were you went to this job to avoid burnout from performing every weekend. You are performing every weekend. Oh, my <laughs> Goodness, you are everywhere, Jazz. Um, but you know, you know that, that that point that you made about burnout. You know, let, let's just talk about another buzzword that we're hearing in education right now: the burnout of teachers. And I feel it in my space. I know you feel it in your space. Um, to me, I think a lot of it for me is what I I would call empathy fatigue. Mm-hmm. That we we put so much weight that our students bring to our space on our shoulders. In terms of maybe in your practice, in your space, or or for more broadly as a profession, how would you think about the, I'll call it a burnout crisis that we're facing right now? I think burnout crisis happens when, one, teachers are not supported. And I want to speak to that real quick. Because it's something that I've seen and I've talked to several people about just because a teacher has been doing it for a long time and is doing it well and looks like they're getting all the accolades and all the honorees and all that great stuff doesn't mean that they don't need support. It doesn't mean that they got it all. I'm very good at what I do, but I need help. (laughs) Like, how do you help? whatever laundry list of things I have to do as a music educator. And I don't think people understand, like, if you leave the field of music education, you could probably get a job anywhere. You could be a travel agent. (laughs) You could be a guidance counselor. You could be a mediator. You could organize events, be an event planner. Like, we're doing all of these jobs under this one job title. And it's like a laundry list of things that we have to do on a daily basis. So even if like you're not giving feedback on what's happening in the classroom, class management, and um, maybe the structure of your classroom, like there's a list somewhere that that music educator has and they need support. That's it. They just take a couple of things off the laundry list and go fold some clothes. And then... Two, I think another reason why folks get burned out in music education is because somewhere along the way, the passion that they had has been stripped away from it. I think a lot of our, how do I want to say, student teachers, the folks in college that have this grand idea of what being a music teacher is because they had this amazing high school, middle school, elementary school teacher that inspired them and they made it look easy. And they thought like all they were doing is hopping in front of the classroom and teaching like that. That's not 
it. Like when you go to your school, you could be building a program. You may be implementing choir culture or music culture in there um, because they never had one before. You could be dealing with like a lot of lack of of community support. You could be in a school where, oh, you get to teach your ensemble, but you can only do it after school. And now you don't have a life after school. Like there's so many things that could take the passion out of teaching for some people. But I encourage teachers to find a way to keep your passions alive, whether it's you finding the perfect classroom for you. I'm not saying that every classroom is going to be perfect because like not even mine is. A lot of people don't know, but a lot of my rehearsing happened after school. It happened after school. I only got to see my ninth and 12th graders during the day. So I had to make some things shake. But find a position that you could live with. Find ways to explore your talents and your passions outside of school. Set boundaries. Let your no be your no and your yes be your yes. Like learn how to set those boundaries. Your kids do not have to perform every single week. You do not have to take on every single performance, especially if they're not giving you some kind of donation in some way, shape, or form. Like community performances and for the sake of community, great. But if they're not pouring back into your ensemble, that's something to consider. Like you can't have a one-way relationship with your community when they're constantly asking you to give and they don't give you anything. Just find ways to support your passions. And when it's time for you to take a break, and I'm preaching to myself right now, when it's time for you to take a break, take the break. I don't care how passionate you are about those students. I don't care if, oh, I have a million and one things to do before next. Nope, sat down somewhere. Take at least two, three weeks to yourself with you doing absolutely nothing and catching up on Netflix series. Like I just started watching New Amsterdam and I'm already on season three. And those are some healthy sized season episodes, like 22 episodes in one. But that's the size of point. Like find a way to set boundaries so that you can keep your passions alive and so that you won't burn out. Jasmine, thank you so much. Sage advice that uh, as someone who is terrible at work-life balance uh, needs to hear all of this. I think Oftentimes we think, oh, you know, I I just can't. I just can't take that time. I can't take that space. And we've heard it a hundred times. You can't pour from an empty cup, but it takes a lot more than a mental health day or a day, you know, the first, I'm going to take the first week of summer vacation for me. And then the rest is going to be in prep for the next year. We need time to heal. We need time to shore up. And and thank you for validating that. You know, I think you've started to scratch the surface on this next point that I would like to talk about. And, you know, I firmly believe that nothing gets better by staying the same that we we need to have change. We need to have growth. And as much as I love the field of music education, I think we have some growth to do. And I think that we're in a position now where a lot of brave people are making these changes that are good for the profession and good for our students. But to do so, I think we need to kind of break this idea of, you know, structured dichotomous thinking. Either, you know, I love my profession or I have to say, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I would like to ask you, what are some challenges that we're facing right now in music education? I talked about this with my DEI committee in um, Tennessee. One of the things that I think is so important that we need to acknowledge 
within music education, I'm big on um, diversity, equity, inclusion work. And there's an acronym. I can never remember the order. It's like A-D-E-I-B-R. And I like the R the most. The R stands for repair. And I think there are some great entities within music education that is doing the work and they are implementing diversity, equity, inclusion, wherever they go, but they're really missing the mark on repair. And that doesn't even have to be within the DEI realm. I think some music educators have been traumatized by the work that has taken place within music education where they felt like they didn't belong because of the color of their skin or because they felt their talents weren't of use or the type of music. Like now there's this heavy, heavy push to implement commercial music and um, music from the Black diaspora. And it's like for years, you've looked at me and said, this music is not acceptable or your practices are not acceptable or what you're teaching in your classroom because it's not notated on a page and because your kids aren't reading music, it's not acceptable. And now all of a sudden, let's let's bring in clinicians to teach all state clinics without sheet music, or let's get somebody who specializes in this type of music, or um, let's bring in a more diverse body of clinicians or presenters to conferences, but you have not once apologized or acknowledged the hurt that you've done for decades. I think that's where we're missing a lot of the mark. And the reason why that apology is so important, because that apology states that you acknowledge what was wrong. You acknowledge the pattern. And here's what you plan to do with your actions to stop this from happening again. And what happens if you do apologize and it's brought to your attention, like, that's not the reason why we're angry, or that's not the reason why we felt like X, Y, and Z, then that's a larger conversation that needs to happen. But the apology will at least spark the conversation. And I just, I wish more entities would lock into that repair portion. And really, um, I, I think that's a great step in really solidifying the um, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, as well as just making sure people understand that I know that what we've done in the past excluded you, but we do apologize. And here's what we're going to do to make sure that you feel included and that you understand that we know your worth and we want you to belong here. I, I feel like that's one of the biggest mis- missing pieces in music education. You know, that's really powerful, Jasmine. Um, I had the honor of hearing Dr. Bettina Love speak uh, just about a month ago, and she challenged us to in, in music education to not just embrace diversity, but to be aware of reparations that need to be in place so that we can heal so that we can move forward. And, you know, whenever we achieve equity, when things have been so far out of balance, we need to move it. And it's not going to be comfortable. 
is not going to be comfortable. Uh, I, I'm reminded of something that that I read um, that to me is really powerful. That equity for those with privilege feels like oppression, mm -hmm. right? So when we get to a space of equity, it's not going to feel comfortable because this is drastically in the other space. And Jasmine, I, I really appreciate that call for collectively, systemically, for us to, to be aware that repair is needed. Uh, so many of us are talking now about healing-centered mm -hmm. education, and I think we see that as trauma, trauma-informed. There's another buzzword right? Trauma-informed. And I think sometimes we ignore some of the things that you just spoke to. Yeah. Like, I just discovered the term healing-centered. It was actually funny, funny thing. Uh, Bettina Love was at that conference. It was a conference centered around dismantling white supremacy culture uh -huh. in our schools. Um, and it's held by the Joe Trust Foundation. It was Bettina Love, uh, Goldie Muhammad, uh, Dr. Ibram Kim. Kendi, and well, all of them are doctors. So let me get that right. Dr. Bettina Love, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, Dr. Ibram Kendi. And it's important to work through the trauma, but if you're trauma-informed and you're only centering yourself on the trauma as opposed to centering yourself around the healing, that's when it becomes a problem. And I think that repair portion will also help folks focus on the healing part of the journey as opposed to let's fix everything. Let's fix it. No, like we need to heal. That way we'll all be more open to do the work and have that extra push so that we won't get burned out without repair, without healing. That's another part where you'll tend to get burned out as well. And I don't think we acknowledge that at all in music education. Absolutely. It's not just about filling a cup. It's about making sure the vessel is ready for the water. I like that. I'm going to borrow that, Scott. Don't borrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was good. That was nice. I like that. You know, and, and to me, and I, I hope it's appropriate for me to say this, that the conversation we're having right now is, is powerful. But to me, it lives at a level that is philosophical. So I really want to dig down to what does this look like? And in, in the SEL world, for me, it's all about that empowerment piece. So how can our students have more of a say in their world and how can they be given opportunities? And to your previous point, teachers need to have the same autonomy, right? In our classroom, we need to be able to have that voice. So this idea of voice empowerment, I know in your practice, Something that really inspires me by your work, Jasmine, is how you take something that is as traditional as it comes in music education, choral music education, right? It goes back centuries. Mm -hmm. And you are finding ways that embraces the student's creativity, whether that be through songwriting or whether it be through hip hop. So can you talk a little bit about how you view that idea of student creativity, student hip hop, student songwriting as maybe an avenue to accomplish some of those objectives. And, and I see your Outcast shirt uh, and <laughs> I adore that you're wearing it uh, as, as a space to maybe accomplish some of the goals we were just talking about. So I just, this, going back to my original, well, my origin story, I just remember moments throughout my journey as a high school student, middle school student, a college student, where I was just 
full of ideas and like waiting for the opportunity to like be my full expressive self without repercussions. And I was blessed to have academic teachers who gave us opportunities through projects for me to express myself. Like I think one time in seventh grade, I we were supposed to do a project on an inventor. And I said I was going to do Thomas Edison. And they was like, well, how are you going to present your project? Because they gave us full autonomy. It could be like a PowerPoint, slideshow, a poster, whatever. And I said, I'm going to rap about him. And she was like, what? I said, I'm going to rap about him. I hit up a couple of the band kids who were like heavy into playing hip hop on their instruments. And I got a couple of them to come into class. They backed me up and I rapped about Thomas Edison. Um, There are some other times where I would like do a comparative study of like hip hop artists like Lauryn Hill and Nickelback and all kinds of stuff. I would make like 3D, whatever. And I was so thankful for the opportunities within those academic spaces to be expressive and just to be my full authentic self. And because of those academic teachers, I feel like that's the reason why I'm the presenter I am today. But in the choral spaces, I was not given an opportunity. It was like, these are the vowels that you're going to sing. Here's the way that you're going to sing it. Like even in my audition, I sung the Star Spangled Banner one way and they said, can you do the Star Spangled again? And this time, can you do it with a more operatic voice? And I'm just like, I guess. And I just did it. But I wasn't allowed to be as expressive within the choral classroom. And I took those experiences and I said, you know, I'm going to do what I have to do. But I'm also going to give my students the space to do what they want to do within my classroom. So even if it's something like, okay, let me pull a song that I know that they'll love. Or let me do a whole showcase centered around R&B. Like last year, my Christmas concert, we didn't do any songs that had sheet music to it. Like we did a South African choral piece that had movements. And then we did Mary J. Blige. We did um, TLC and we did uh, How Deep Is Your Love by PJ Morton. Well, originally by the BGs, but we did the PJ Morton version. But like, I knew my kids would love those songs and it was their buy-in and it was expressive and it was a great way for them. And it's been like a toss-up, a mix of different things that I've been doing with my choir kids. And even this year, I said, I'm going to take eight different acts. You can sing whatever it is that you want. If you want to rap, you can rap. I'm going to have auditions on this day. Surprise me. (laughs) We had some great folks. Like I had a couple of kids who wanted to do classical music. I had a couple of kids who did R&B. I had one girl who had like this whole singer-songwriter vibe. And it was probably one of the most beautiful moments I had throughout the school year where the kids could just like be their authentic selves and really showcase that to the world and express their creativity. With my general music students, I give them opportunities to create projects, but there's one particular thing that I do and it's called an evidence day project. And I link that back to well, Florida State students, because they put me onto it on Facebook and gave me a term for it. But I also attribute that to my academic teachers who gave me the opportunity to showcase whatever it was that I learned throughout the year and present it however I want to. 
And this year we had some amazing projects. I had a student who really loved the Latinx Heritage Month or the Latinx Heritage Music Unit. And they went and created a diorama of the Day of the Dead and made like a whole ofrenda and everything. Um, I had a couple of students who really wanted to go back and make beats. And they absolutely knocked it out the park and they showed us how they layered it and everything. I had a couple of students who really liked, um, I did a comparative study of Little Babies, uh, The Bigger Picture and um, Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. And they went and did a whole thing on protest songs or they focused on Lil Baby or they focused on Billie Holiday. Um, As far as hip hop in my classroom, I've used it as a way for my students to express themselves, whether it's them songwriting. Um, We do a couple of exercises that are centered around hip hop. We do a lot of dancing. (laughs) I had a project this year where we centered it around like them creating TikTok tutorials on how to do old school hip hop dances. The funniest thing I have living on my iPad right now, (laughs) it was great. But just long story short, because I know this is a long answer, like finding ways for my kids to just be their authentic selves and have fun while learning. That's the goal, whether it's through hip hop, Latinx music, um, music of their choice. Like I'm here for it. Because at the end of the day, I teach more than music. I teach life through music. And I want my kids, if they don't learn anything else, use your voice to express yourself or use whatever it is to fight and give voice to what your feelings are, whether it's visual arts, whether it's music, whether it's dance. Like my job is to teach you how to use your voice. That's it. I so want to be in your class. I so want my son to be in your class. Oh, my goodness, Jasmine. So, you know, I'm hearing, again, we're going to start to try to draw this into SEL just a little bit. I'm hearing a space where students are able to be their authentic selves. That's their identity. And something magical happens when we are all our authentic selves as we come together in a sense of belonging. And I'm hearing just so much, and as you speak, Jasmine, that there's no one right way to do anything in your class, that that's that student agency. So in a tradition such as music education, where there is one right way to do it, you decode notes, you decode rhythms, as you said, there's one vowel. How, how do we marry those two? where we come from a tradition that is is so, this is how we do Bach. This is how we do Eric Whitaker. Nothing against Bach or Eric Whitaker, but we now are in a position where we're saying, well, I want to bring in something that maybe I'm not an expert in. That's not the cloth that I was cut from. I want to start to embed some of hip hop or songwriting and creativity is not where I've come from. So words of wisdom for teachers who are saying, I want to be more like Jasmine. I want to do more of what Jasmine just spoke to because that really feels like it is meeting the students where they are. Thoughts on how those teachers can take a first step. You said something along the lines of how do we marry the two? I I wouldn't get married. I would continue to just date. Like that's my (laughs) philosophy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not married to choral music at all. And if I am, then I have been cheating on choral music for years and I'm okay with that. So I encourage teachers to just date, like stop focusing so heavy on choral music. Like 
Choral music will live on. Choral music is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to give your students the best, well-rounded, holistic music education, you've got to start dating Latinx music. You've got to start dating Black music. You've got to start dating pop. You've got to start dating hip-hop. You've got to start dating, getting to know these things. Um, you want to have some late-night conversations with a couple of these genres. Like, full disclosure, I coming to KIPP in 2019, that was my first time working with a heavy Latinx population. And I'm all about making sure my kids are seen within the music and they're seen as beautiful. So there were some nights when I was on a date with Latinx music and we was up until like two and three o'clock in the morning on the phone. I'm just trying to get to know them. And like, even when I hopped back in the classroom, I would fully disclose to my students, like, I don't know if y'all noticed, but I'm Black. I don't know everything there is to know about Latinx music, but I've done some research, I've done some listening, and I'm here to try and make your music look as beautiful as possible because it is. And there are some things I got right on the head, and there are some things that I completely bombed, and my students had full agency to tell me if I gotten it wrong because I want to learn too. I'm not, I'm always going to have a student posture. And when you have the posture of a student, you don't get as offended easily. And that's how I approach everything. I'm, I'm an enthusiast with hip hop at best. I'm not an expert. So there are some things that I'm still learning as a student of hip hop. There are things that I'm learning as a student of choral music. So with me being open to learn about as many genres as possible and being willing to like make the mistakes in my classroom as I continue to grow, I think that's how I'm able to like get all the things or as many things within my classroom as possible. And, you know, if I feel like I'm not an expert at something and I know somebody who is, I call them in. I will never claim to be the best salsa dancer ever. That's not my lane. I can hit a two-step, but I don't know anything about salsa dancing. We had a teacher who's of Colombian descent who is an expert at salsa dancing. I said, hey, can you come in and work with my students? She nailed it. Nailed it perfectly. I invite people in. I ask. Um, I do a lot of Googling. I look for a lot of books and research. Like anytime, like I have, I have no problem decentering myself. No problem decentering myself, even when it comes to choral music. There's an amazing choir out in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, there's actually several. Memphis, side note, if you've never heard of their choral, oh my gosh, I don't know what's in the water out there, but three hours out west from Nashville, they got it going on. But there's a specific choir, um, Cordova High School, and Adrian Macklin, he's <laughs> he's big little brother because he's shorter than me, but he's older and wiser. And I was just blown away. I've seen his choir at Southern ACDA, and I've also seen them at TMEA this past year in April. And I called him up one morning. I was like, Hey, I need to get your kids on a Zoom. I, I like, I love you and I love what you're doing, but because my choir is so young, like we're only two years in and they're 10 years old. 
Cordova's 10. I was like, let's get our choirs on a Zoom call and let's do a choir exchange where like we're just picking each other's brains and we're asking like, how do we get to this level? And surprisingly, like Cordova's kids start asking like, how does it feel to be a two, three year program? And like having all of these wins and whatnot, like that meant a lot. And like, while my kids were exchanging, I had my phone and I was recording the whole thing so I can go back and listen to it. I had my iPad and I was taking notes because I have a student posture. And like, I I just feel, long story short, if teachers keep a student posture and continue to date around with different genres and uh, they're not afraid to decenter their voice, whether they're an expert or not, like, I think that helps you be able to do as many things or all the things possible. Jasmine, I want a t-shirt that says I've cheated on choral music education. <laughs> <laughs> I want the t-shirt. <laughs> so, yeah, that's hilarious. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I, I love how you took the analogy and really brought it home. Cordova. Oh my goodness. I was in Memphis working with their teachers. Like they they opened up this the session for um, the Shelby County teachers uh, teachers when I was there, jaw on floor. And it's not just because of the sound that they get. It's not. Just, I mean, the the students come out and the students are confident. They're the their true selves. They're when you talk about decentering. I mean, some of the work that they're doing is traditional choral music education, right? They're coming out there and singing traditional rep. And then they're flipping Ron's head and owning soul and owning so many of the things. Yeah. I won't spoil it for you because I honestly think that you need to get Adrian on here to talk about like student center stuff. Cause he's a, he's a beast at that. Like those kids are amazing, but I, I did have a conversation with him and he was like, his kids prefer choral music over like the popsy stuff. Like that's their preference And it's so evident in the way that they, like, if y'all ever get a chance, like, go to a Cordova concert or look them up on YouTube and the way that they emote, like, you could tell, like, they're all in and, like, they leave their passion on the stage 100% of the time. It's it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's, it really is amazing. I, I will validate that up one side and down the other, Jasmine. And we'll take you up on that. Uh, I'll ask for a contact after we finish recording. Make it happen. And, you know, I could sit here and talk to you all day, and there will be times that we will do so. Uh, but as we come to the end of our time for, for this episode, Jasmine, what's next for you? You're everywhere. What, what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? Where are you going? My dreams and aspirations, um, I just want to keep I just want to get better. And I know it sounds like, what do you mean get better? You're a master teacher, you're Grammy nominated. Y'all, I, I'm i going into year nine of teaching. I'm not an expert. I just want to get better for my kids. I want to continue to do what I'm doing as far as like having some type of platform because one of my driving things is because I have the platform, people know who I am and they want to get my kids involved, which leads them to having the opportunities um, that they've been having. So I just want to keep my student posture. I want to get better. Um, this summer, I'm going to work on finishing up this master's degree of mine in comparison to last year, because it's something that I did speak with my students and my husband about. Um, it, it was a lot. 
Like I did all the things, but it was a lot. And my students felt it. My husband felt it, especially him uh, going into comedy or like being an up and coming comedian. And he's like doing a doggone thing. I, I'm not taking as many engagements this coming year so that one, I could rest two, so that my husband can thrive and three, so that I can do the best by my kids. And it's a lot that's coming up, but I'm not going to be as mobile this year. And I'm perfectly fine with it. Sometimes God will lighten the load on your calendar so that you have time to develop and grow where you are and with the things that you have. And I'm perfectly fine with God telling me to be still in this season. So that's why I am. On a very personal note, Jasmine, I needed to hear that. Uh, so, so thank you. That, that, what you just said was a gift to me. I, I really appreciate that. And I, I know that our audience, um, is gifted from, uh, your time today, Jasmine, any concluding final thoughts for us? Be the person you long to be and not the people you thought you should be. Like, I thought I should have had all the things that I should have been like this teacher or the teachers that came before me. I just want to be me in the classroom and be authentically happy with all my passions and do the best by my kids, my daughter, my husband. So be the person that you want to be and not the person that people think you should be. And when you do that, you'll keep all the passions. When you do that, you'll think of yourself first and tap in with yourself when you do feel that burnout and know when to rest. So be the person that you want to be and not the person that people think you should be. Jasmine, your, your calls to action today have been profound, whether it be a space that we need to go back in our past lives and repair so that we can move forward together, whether it be a space that we need to have that authenticity, whether it be in a space that we just need to date and expand our <laughs> practice. Oh, Jasmine, this has been so rich. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. This has been such a, a gift to me to be able to have this conversation with you. Uh, Jasmine, where can people find you if they want more information? Um, follow me on social media. You can follow me, Jasmine Fripp, on Facebook or The Passionate Black Educator on Facebook. You can also find me on TikTok and Instagram at Passionate Black Educator. And yeah, that's where you can find me. I think you're going to get a lot more followers. My goodness, Jasmine, I'm a fan. Uh, Jasmine, what a gift. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Scott. Absolutely. For Music for All, I'm Scott Edgar. Have a great day. Bye-bye.